Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, open up your Bibles to Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Revelation 3, 14 through 22. It's good to be back here at our usual meeting place. We had a wonderful uh, time uh, at the retreat, uh, which was a different venue. But this just feels like home. <laughs> it feels good. Not that we're going to stay here forever. We might move, but we'll see. <laughs> Okay, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Okay, this is God's word. And if you're joining us online at home, you'll see the passage on your screen. And to the angel of the, of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see." Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you, Lord, and we know that your presence is here. I pray and ask, oh Lord Jesus, that you would reveal more of yourself to us, Lord, because we know that all these letters that you gave to your church 2,000 years ago, these are the exact same words that you want to speak to your churches today. And I pray that, Father, we would be one of the churches that receives, that we would not harden our hearts, but that we would open ourselves wide to hear what you are saying what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So thank you, Lord. These words come only because you love us. So we thank you, Father God. Speak to everyone here. Speak to everyone online. Lord, again, may you be heard today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, praise God. It's been a blessed and soul-searching journey uh, for me particularly. I don't know about you guys. As we've been walking through every single one of these letters in the book of Revelation. So we've been looking at seven in total. But every journey must come to an end, and so today we're going to be kind of wrapping up this series, or we're going to actually begin to wrap it up, because I'm going to have to finish uh, looking at this passage next time, because there's so much here. But today we're going to be looking at the problem that Jesus poses, and then next time we're going to look at the cure, and there's a lot that Jesus says. But today we're going to be looking at his seventh letter to the church at Laodicea, and Laodicea was a lukewarm church. So again, every single church, I try to give a specific characteristic to each church, and this one's very easy. They were lukewarm. So this was a church whose spiritual temperature was neither hot nor cold. And Jesus mentions that phrase three times in the opening three verses, so we know this is the key. Okay, this is exactly their problem. And the sense is more than just, oh, simple hot or cold, you're not either. But there was an intensity to it. Bible scholars say, if you read in the original language, Jesus is more saying, you are not icy cold, nor boiling hot, but rather you are lukewarm. 
You know, my son Isaiah, he's here today, but he loves to drink icy cold drinks or boiling hot drinks, or at least near boiling hot. Okay, that little guy's a biblical guy. He's biblical. And if his drink is lukewarm, he goes, no. He pushes it away. I don't like lukewarm milk, and I agree. If I accidentally pick up a cup of coffee and it's lukewarm, bleh, right? Like, I hate lukewarm coffee. Who wants that? Panera, listen up. Your coffee is always lukewarm. God, I don't know what the deal is with Panera. But this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, Laodicea, you are a lukewarm church. I would rather have you icy cold or boiling hot. But they were neither. And because of that, Jesus gave them this letter. And in fact, this was his harshest letter, which is very curious. Because this church was just lukewarm. And yet, these are the harshest words he had to say. So based on what Jesus said to this Laodicean church, we have to conclude this was the worst church out of the seven. With the exception of Smyrna and Philadelphia, those are the faithful churches, all the other churches had a lot of problems. And they went from bad to worse. So we started out with the Ephesian church. They were the loveless church. And then we went to the Pergamum church. They were compromised. Then we went to Thyatira. They were the deceived church. And then we went to Sardis. They were the dead church. And so you see, there was a steady decline. And then when we finally get to the church of Laodicea, they were lukewarm. And again, based on what Jesus said, we have to conclude, oh, we hit rock bottom. Because Jesus says nothing good about this church. There was nothing in this church that Jesus could commend. Even Sardis, the dead church, Jesus said, at least you have a few people who are alive and they're holding on to what is good and they're worthy. But Laodicea, not even that. So Jesus' diagnosis of their condition was also the most blunt. So we know this was a terrible church because he did not even give them a long explanation. Okay, you're doing this well, but you're not doing this well and going into an explanation. He didn't even do that. He simply called them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And finally, Jesus' warning to the Laodicean church was the most harsh and shocking. So he warned every single church, except for the two good ones, but he warned all of them, but this is the most shocking one, because he told this church, because you are lukewarm, neither boiling hot or icy cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And we'll look a little later about what that really means. But Jesus had a stern warning for all the other churches, but he never once threatened them with rejection, including disgust. Because I am so disgusted with you, I'm about to reject you. That is what Jesus is saying. So you could say the Laodicean church made Jesus sick. So based on all of this, we have to conclude in Jesus' eyes, this is the worst church out of the seven. So is that clear? But all this raises another question. But why? Okay, they're just lukewarm. Why was this so terrible to Jesus? I mean, when I read through the churches, you would think the dead church would be the worst one, right? I mean, they were dead. You can't get worse than dead. <laughs> Once you're dead, I mean, you're dead. And yet to Jesus, he said, no, the lukewarm church. Even though lukewarm was just a few degrees away from hot, right? I mean, what's the big deal, Jesus? And yet Jesus said, that the Laodicean church, okay, this is even beyond the church of Sardis, who was dead. But I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So what is going on? Okay, why does Jesus hate a lukewarm faith so much? And this is the message we need to understand. 
Okay, if you identify with some of the other things in the other churches, okay, that's good. But you need to understand, when it came to the Laodicean church, Jesus despised this the most. If there's any kind of a church you want to avoid and not be like, you don't want to be like the Laodicean church. You don't want to be lukewarm. Jesus was disgusted by this. So why? Well, the only way we can answer this question is by looking more deeply at what Jesus said. So I think Jesus actually makes it clear why he was so sick or sickened by this church. And so when you look at this passage, he describes this church's sickness, and then her danger, and then her cure, and then finally her potential reward. But as you delve deeper into these things, you're going to begin to realize, oh, okay, I get it. I get why Jesus was so sickened by this condition. And like I said earlier, we're only going to look at the problem today, and we're going to look at the cure next time, next week. But the sickness... First, Jesus described this church's sickness. Now, before Jesus gave the Laodiceans his diagnosis, he gave them his credentials. And he actually does that every single time, but I really want to point this out for this letter. But Jesus starts out with his credentials. This would be kind of like the diploma hanging on the office at the doctor's. But when you go to see the doctors, you always see a diploma there, right? To show that this doctor is actually credentialed. This doctor is legit to diagnose your sickness. And so Jesus does the same thing. He starts out with his credentials. And what are his credentials? Well, it says in verse 14, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And right there, the word amen means indeed, truly, truly. That's what you're saying when you say amen. Yes, truly. Let it be. So Jesus is saying, I am the amen. So he starts out by saying, I don't just speak the truth. I am the truth. Does that remind you of something else? John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I don't just speak truth, I am truth. Then Jesus called himself the faithful and true witness. And what's a witness? Do you guys ever watch uh, Judge Judy? Or <laughs> well, actually, there are no, yeah, Helen, I guess you do. But I don't think there are witnesses there. But when you go to a court of law, if you ever serve jury duty, you know that a witness does what? They testify in court about what they see, right? What they saw. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is what I see. And what I see is absolutely true, and I faithfully communicate it. I'm not an unfaithful witness. I'm a faithful witness. See, I am truth. What I see is true, and I faithfully communicate it to you. This is what he's saying. So Jesus is the truth, and what he sees about the church, he faithfully and accurately communicates. And then he doesn't stop there to top it all off, he says, and I am the beginning of God's creation. Now, in the English, that could sound a little com uh, confusing. It could sound like, oh, Jesus is the first created being that God the Father created, but that's not what it means here. That would be a heresy. But rather, this title is saying Jesus is the source of all creation. Jesus created everything. And because of that, he is the ruler of all creation. This is exactly what Paul said in Colossians 1, 16 through 17. And by the way, the church at Laodicea and the church at Colossae, they were sister churches. They were only 12 miles apart, very close to each other. But this is what Jesus is saying. I am the ruler of creation because I created everything. So do you see these credentials? I mean, these are massive credentials. So before Jesus even began to diagnose their problem, he's saying, you need to listen to me because I have the credentials to say these things. So he showed them that he is the ruler of all creation, and he speaks the truth. Why? Because he is truth. 
And whatever he saw, he is going to now accurately and faithfully communicate to them. And these credentials, they weren't just words, but they were backed by his death and resurrection. So sometimes you go to a doctor's office and you go, is that just a piece of paper? Is that real? Well, it is real most of the time because as the doctor begins to diagnose you, you you begin to hear the wisdom in their words. And so this is another thing that backs Jesus' credentials. It's backed by the wisdom of his words in this letter. Jesus said elsewhere, wisdom is proved right by all her children. Luke 7, 35. What does that mean? He's saying you can always know what is wise and true by what those words produce. And so we can also know that these words are actually true by what they produce. So these are all the credentials of Jesus. They gave tremendous weight to what he was about to say. And so here's the bottom line. The Laodiceans, they would have been crazy to not listen to Jesus. The worst church in the bunch of seven. They would have been crazy to ignore Jesus' words. It would be kind of like going to the greatest heart specialist in this world because you have a heart problem. And this doctor examines you and then gives you a very careful diagnosis and you go, eh, and you ignore it. That's what it would be like. And so we should also be very careful that we don't respond like that to the word of God. Because some of the things that are mentioned today, it may be applying to you. But the word of God is like an x-ray to our soul. It is constantly revealing true things, deep things within us, hidden things. And it would be utterly insane for us to hear it and ignore it. This is why Paul said in Romans 1, 21, 22, the world has literally lost its mind. Why? Because it rejects God's truth. It doesn't accept God's word. Paul says they've literally lost their mind. So Jesus begins his diagnosis with the most weighty credentials you can imagine. And I really felt like I needed to mention it. Jesus is really hammering this. You need to listen to me. It's like this big, <laughs> listen to me. That's what he's saying. And then he proceeds to tell them their sickness. Starting in verses 15 and 16. So then what does he say? What is he talking about? He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. You're lukewarm. And then he defines what he means by lukewarm in verse 17. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. So just take a step back right there. Listen to what this church is saying. But they are saying to themselves and maybe to people around them, I'm rich. I have enough money. I could always use more, but I have enough. I have prospered. Yeah, I have a business. It's going well. I have a career. I like my career. My career is advancing. And because of that, they're saying, I have no needs. And so all these things that Jesus is saying about them, this was true. This is exactly what they were saying. In the worldly sense, they were wealthy. In the worldly sense, they had prospered. They had no needs. Why? Because they were Laodiceans. And they were living in Laodicea. And Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities in ancient times. I mean, this was a good city. This would be like, I don't know, Irvine. (laughs) Nothing bad against Irvine, but this would be a very good city to live in. Bible scholars say there were three things in particular that made Laodicea so prosperous. But first, the city was a center for banking. So think about Wall Street. This was kind of like an ancient times Wall Street. Do you guys know Cicero? He was the most famous orator in ancient Greece, but Cicero had a bank account there. I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) So I don't know where he lived, but he would go to Laodicea to pull out money. But he had a bank account there. Second, Laodicea was a center for medicine. There are a lot of people in the medical field here. Well, there was a world-famous medical school in Laodicea, and they actually developed an eye ointment that had medicinal properties. It was able to cure eye disease. 
And so they developed it there and they exported it and that made them incredibly famous, very prosperous. Third, the city was a center for commerce. Look at all these things there. But they were famous for this luxurious black wool. They had a certain kind of sheep that they grew there and it was very soft, very luxurious, dark black wool. And so they would harvest this wool and use it in clothing and rugs and they would ex export all of that. And so they became incredibly prosperous. So all of this made them famous and wealthy and prosperous. So here are the Laodiceans. They had enough money. They had enough prosperity, enough security. And again, sure, could they have more? Of course they could have more, but they had enough. And so because of that, they're walking around going, you know, we don't have any needs. And so this is what the church was saying. And yet, these people were Christian. They identified themselves as Christian. Kind of like all of you, they would come out to church every single Sunday. They would be sitting in church, worshiping God, considering themselves Christians. At one point, they had heard the gospel. Okay, and they believed just enough to say, you know what? Yeah, I think, I think I believe in that. Yeah, Jesus, he makes sense to me. I think I want Jesus. Okay, a lot of them, they probably thought, you know what? Jesus adds value to my life. I want Jesus. I believe that they saw religion as a good thing. They probably told each other, religion, even this religion, we didn't grow up with it, but this is a good thing. By the way, that's not what the Bible says. That's what the world says. Because the world has always loved religion. That's why there are so many religions throughout the world. That's why every civilization and every culture throughout human history has been religious. I know there's a lot of talk about atheism, but atheism has never lasted more than a generation or two. I said that during the retreat. By and far, the world loves religion. The evidence is everywhere. The unregenerate man and woman loves religion. And the Laodiceans loved religion. You know, I remember uh, many years ago, this is when the church kind of first started out. A man came out to our church, and he brought his whole family. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then after the service, I was talking to him. And then I found out very soon, he's like, oh, I'm not even a Christian. I was like, oh, okay. Why are you here? And then he said, well, it's because religion's good. And I want my kids to learn good morals. And so I brought them. And so this is very clear. The world loves religion. And so this was the Laodiceans. They had just enough of the gospel, just enough of Jesus to know that Jesus can add value to their life. And so they were in church, and yet they were living in this incredibly prosperous city. They were incredibly prosperous. So here's the picture Jesus was painting. Okay, this is the diagnosis. Here's this wealthy and prosperous city with no knees. And in the middle of this city was a wealthy and prosperous church with no needs. And this church took security in that. And they were doing good. They were fine. They were okay. They had good clothes on their backs. They had plenty of food on the table. They would go out and eat many times a week. They had a nice car in the garage. Maybe they had two or three cars. They had money in the bank. Hey, I saw Cicero last week. <laughs> you know, it's like life is good. And could they have a little more? Of course they could. But life was good. They had enough. And they went to church as secure, happy, and balanced people. Okay, they followed Jesus because they added, he added value to their life. But nothing too crazy, right? I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm a Christian, but nothing too crazy. Why? Because my life is good, and I don't want it to be out of whack. Okay, why would I want that? There's no need to mess this thing up. Surrender everything to God? Why would I do that? take risks to follow him? No, I've got a good thing in my life. But I do like Jesus. He has value to my life. So you show up at church. But anything else? No. It's okay. So what Jesus becomes is he's like a cherry on top. 
And so this was the lukewarm church. Okay, this was the diagnosis that Jesus made, and he said, this makes me sick. Okay, I want to spit them out of my mouth. And so here's what the Spirit is saying, if you have ears to hear. But doesn't this sound a lot like another church we know? Maybe the Church of America. Okay, couldn't this be said of all of us? Now at this point, I want to pause and I want to acknowledge that we are living in some hard economic times. And some of you guys might be kind of checking out thinking, oh, okay, this isn't me though. Okay, this is not me. This does not apply. And the reason is because I have a lot of financial struggles. Okay, you're talking about wealthy, prosperous. That is not me. Okay, do you know how much I pay for gas? So I don't have enough, and that's my problem. And so maybe you're sitting here thinking, I can't relate to this. I mean, there's some truth to what you're saying, but I don't really relate. But I want to encourage you, it's all about your perspective, right? And what I mean is, almost everyone listening to this lives in the wealthiest country and in the wealthiest state in that country, and even within the wealthiest state of the wealthiest country in the world, you're doing okay. You're doing okay. And so in this extremely rarefied place, okay, John Piper calls America Disneyland. Okay, we are living in Disneyland. It is extremely hard to imagine what it's like to live like the majority of the world. Okay, if you just go online and search what the majority of the world lives on, more than 50% of the world's population lives on $5.50 a day. That is $165 a month. Okay, we don't know what it's like to live on $165 a month. You probably blow that in one week on coffee. So do I. Not Panera, though. <laughs> but we don't understand, right? We don't understand how the rest of the world lives because we are so extremely and utterly wealthy, and yet we go around going, oh, I am struggling so much. And yes, some of those struggles are real. But it's all about perspective, right? It's like being the shortest person in a land of giants. It's like being the dumbest student at Harvard. We don't understand. It's about perspective. You know, when we were in Malawi last month, we had the opportunity to meet some young people who were hired by PAF, the missions ministry that we were working with. But they were hired to make bricks, and these bricks were going to become eventually a community center and a dormitory and a library and a Bible school. But all these young people were hired to work to make bricks, and they were required to make 10 million bricks eventually. They were around 50,000 when we met them. But they came joyfully every day, and we asked one of them, how long do you work? And they said, we come here at 8, and we leave at 4 in the afternoon. So it's a full day's work. And yet they came every day, and they were happy to have this job. And the reason why is because one of them, or one of the missionaries told us, is because they make double what the average worker in Malawi makes. The average worker in Malawi makes $2 a day. And these workers were being paid $4 a day. That's double. And so for them, this was amazing. Now, in comparison to that, the average person in California makes a hundred times that amount. Okay, again, these are just numbers to us. We don't understand. It is a hundred times. Okay, these workers we met, they were just joyful to get two times. To them, that was just, I'm going to make double what the average worker makes? The average person in California makes a hundred times that amount. 200 bucks a day, roughly. three to $4,000 a month. And we're like, eh. Average, okay salary, I need more though. And yet for the majority of the world's population, that is unimaginable wealth. I remember at one point during the missions trip, there was a lady, I accidentally put my clothes into this basket. I didn't know that was for laundry service. I'm like, oh cool, a basket. <laughs> so I threw all my laundry there. 
And then one day, the basket disappeared, and then later that day, the lady brought back the basket going, your laundry's done. I'm like, my laundry? What do you mean? She's like, you put it in the basket. It's laundry service. And the lady, I said, well, how much? And then she was kind of sheepish, and she's like, $10? Well, she gave me this ridiculous figure, like 10,000 quachas. I was like, how much is that? Right? She's like, $10. I'm like, oh, okay, no big deal. <laughs> so I opened my wallet, and I gave her the money. It wasn't quite $10. It was like $8 something. And I'm like, and she's like, oh, I don't have change. And then I said, ah, keep the change, right? It's just a dollar something. And then her eyes got really big. She's like, keep the change, okay. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized, wow, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. I mean, this woman is probably coming thinking, I can't even imagine paying 10 U.S. dollars to get your laundry done. I mean, it's a lot for me, too. It's a lot for me, too, honestly. It hurt a little. <laughs> But not a big deal, right? Not a big deal. It's not going to kill us. And so we are living in unimaginable wealth. You need to understand that. And if you feel like you're struggling right now, you are just the shortest person in a land of giants. You're probably not even the shortest person. So compared to us, 50% of the world's population lives in poverty. And I know there are some people living in poverty in, the, in America as well, and I'm not denying any of that. But the vast majority of us, that is not us. That is not us. And you don't even have to go outside of the U.S. to realize that we live in unimaginable wealth. You don't need to buy a ticket and fly to Malawi. But even here, there's like a mosquito or fly. <laughs> it's like the enemy. <laughs> Very distracting. But even right here within the continental U.S., you can go to places and realize how blessed you are. But I remember going to missions on the Navajo Reservation. I went there several years. And I remember this one trip in particular, at the very end of the trip, we decided to take all the high school students, the Navajo students, to a pizzeria. So we went to Flagstaff, and this was a big treat, and we took them to a pizzeria. And I remember one of the students just sat down right next to me. He was very, you know, polite, very quiet, and we were just kind of talking. And then the food came out, and his eyes got really big. And he's just like, and we're just ordering normal food, right, at a pizzeria. And then I remember when the food started getting placed down, he quietly said to me, I've never had this food before. And then he pointed at something, and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, uh, Caesar salad. And then he pointed at something else. He's like, he's like, I've never had this. What is that? I'm like, barbecue chicken pizza? Right? It's just barbecue chicken pizza. And then I remember he just ate it. He was very hungry, and then towards the end of the meal, his parents came to pick him up. And I remember he asked me, he's like, is it okay if I give some of this pizza to my parents? I'm like, sure. And he just started gathering it up, and then he ran out. And I saw, I saw them through the window. I mean, he literally was giving it to them as the greatest gift in the world, the greatest gift he could imagine. And so even right here in the U.S., and I'm thinking, wow. I mean, we had barbecue chicken pizza and Caesar salad. And so what is my point? It's all about perspective, brothers and sisters. We are rich. I know even in the wealthiest country in the world, people can have financial struggles. I know because I've been there, but it's all about perspective again, right? It's like being the dumbest student at Harvard. It's all about perspective. Compared to the remaining people in the world, the majority, we are in unimaginably wealthy. And so here's my point. If we are to look at the latest in church and we were to say, who is like this in the world? Who is it? Jesus just lifts up a mirror. Look in the mirror. Who do you think it is? It is us. Even as I was reading this earlier this week, it's like, this is us. This is the church in America. 
Do you think the Christians in Malawi are the Laodicean church? Do you think the Christians in Navajo reservation are the Laodicean? No. This would be more likely us. And the Laodicean sickness is our sickness. So it is the sickness of trusting in the idols of money, comfort, and security, all the while claiming to follow Jesus. Okay, this is the lukewarm sickness. And here's the thing about the Laodiceans and many Christians here in the U.S. This lukewarm faith is not just a temptation, it was their goal. Okay, it's not just like, oh yeah, oh wow, I just kind of fell into this. No, this is what they were aiming for. This was their pursuit. Okay, what do I mean? They carefully calibrated their lives so that they could have their cake and eat it too. Okay, they wanted the blessings of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is good. He adds value to my life. And if there is a heaven and hell, just in case, I want to be in heaven. So I need that fire insurance. And by the way, my parents were Christians. So I want to, you know, make them happy. So he adds value to my life. And yeah, there are some good morals in the church. So why not? He adds value to my life. He's the cherry on top, but I got a good thing going here. My life is good in this Disneyland called America, especially California, especially Southern California. Praise God, we don't live in Central California. Nothing wrong with that. But I've been, I've been through that area. <laughs> SoCal's better. But it's like, praise God. So I don't want to mess this up. And on top of that, I like Jesus too. And so what is this? This is trying to have the blessings of Jesus without giving up all the comforts and security of the world. It is worshiping the idols that we trust in while making attempts to worship Christ, who we sort of trust in. And see, this is the thing about being lukewarm. It's never black or white. It's never all or nothing. It's always a mixture, right? Okay, my son Isaiah knows this. How do you get lukewarm drinks? You mix cold and hot together. And bah. I don't like that. But that's what lukewarm is. You're mixing it together. So do you love Jesus? Yeah, sort of. Do you love the world? Yeah. So it's both. It's both. It's a mixture. And Jesus said it best. They honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. So it's not that you don't honor Jesus. We do. We sing songs. We worship. We come to church. We love it. Sort of. But then I also love all this too. Again, it's a good thing. I got a good thing going. And so this is the sickness of being lukewarm. And so not only is this a temptation, people are aiming for it. They're living for this. People call it a balanced life. But sometimes whenever I hear that these days, I always get, oh, my eyebrow shoots up. What do you mean by a balanced life? What do you mean by that? So Christians, especially here in America, we aim for this. This is exactly what we're wanting. I want to be a Christian. Of course I want to, but I want all these other things too. So here's another quality about this sickness. The very things that we think make us well are making us even more sick. So this is another quality. So this is something that we aim for. And as we get more of these good things in our lives, this mixture of Jesus and the world, it makes us more sick. Look at Jesus' diagnosis. He goes deeper in verse 17. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And it's really interesting what Jesus mentions here. Because after he mentions two general descriptions of their spiritual condition, he says, you're wretched and pitiable. Okay, let that sink in. You're wretched 
You're pitiable. And then he mentions three things. He says, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Okay, earlier, I mentioned three things that the city of Laodicea was known for. Okay, what were they known for? They were a banking center. Okay, this city was literally built on a pile of money. A pile of money. Jesus said, here's the truth. You're poor. You're spiritually poor. Not only that, this city was a medical center. They had developed perhaps the world's only eye ointment to heal eye disease. Jesus said, here's the truth. You're blind. You're spiritually blind. Not only that, they were a commerce center. Okay, they grew this luxurious black wool, wove it into gorgeous clothing, selling it around the ancient world. Jesus said, here's the truth. You're spiritually naked. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying everything the Laodiceans trusted in to make them prosperous, healthy, well, to have the good life, Jesus said the exact opposite is happening. This is making you sick. This is making you sick. Jesus said what you see as strength is your weakness. What you see as a blessing is your curse. Again, there's a lot to let sink in in this letter. Okay, how can that be, though? My life is so good. How can this be a curse? How can the very things that I'm wanting and aiming after and going after, how can that be a destruction in my life? How? Well, here's how. It's because people never trust in the weak things in their lives. They never turn weak things and bad things in their lives into idols, at least not at first. Eventually, they turn bad, but not in the beginning. They only trust in the things that are good and strong. Okay, no one ever looks at a car that only starts 20% of the time and go, that's the one I'm going to drive to work every day. <laughs> they, they, they look at the car that starts uh, every single time, the best car they have. That's the one I'm going to take to work. Why do you think the Ephesians worshipped the fertility god Artemis? Okay, this was the great temple that they had in Ephesians, in Ephesus. It was because the city was built on fertile land. Fertility was their blessing from heaven. It was their strength, and they turned it into an idol. Okay, why do you think the Athenians worshipped the Greek god of wisdom, Athena? Well, it's because Athens was a center of philosophy. Plato's academy was in Athens. And then all the other philosophers after him. So do you see that? The strength became their idol. It's what they trusted in. That's how human beings are. So nobody makes idols out of the bad things in their lives and the weak things in their lives, but rather the strong things, the good things. So living in the wealthiest country on earth with so many quote-unquote blessings, with so much security, so much comfort. And remember, even if you feel like you're struggling right now, it's all about perspective because we are unimaginably more wealthy than the majority of the world. Okay, what do you think Jesus would say to a people like us? Well, he says the same thing that he said to the Laodiceans. Watch out. Okay, watch out. Because eventually these things that you're looking to, these blessings in your life that you are trusting in, in fact, you're aiming for that. You're not just falling into temptation. You are calibrating your life to get more and more of those things and build your life on those things and then add Jesus as a cherry on top. Jesus is saying, watch out. Watch out. Those very things you're looking to as blessings, as comforts, as securities, as your strength, they are your downfall. They're going to be your downfall. You know, I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's one of the favorite, my favorite preachers that I like to listen to. But this almost happened to him. But when he was only in his 20s, he was advancing beyond his peers in medicine, 
Hopefully this can relate to a lot of you who are in medicine. But he was an amazing physician. And he was doing so well at the top of his class, he was on the fast track to becoming the king's physician in the royal hospital or whatever the name was for that organization. But he was on the fast track to becoming the royal physician for the royal family. And so because of that, I mean, he was dead set on this career. He was pursuing it. It was a blessing in his life. And yet, all the while, he knew he wanted to follow God. And so he thought, maybe this is going to be the way I serve God. And so he was trying to mix both, right? Oh, I'm going to do this, but, but I want to follow God. And so it was, it was a mixture, and he was struggling. Until finally, one day, he said he was walking out of this beautiful event that he was at, this banquet dinner. And he had his overcoat on and this fancy suit. And he had his, you know, fellow physician friends with their fancy suits. And they're all walking out. And then when he walked out into the street, he heard some worship. This quiet little group of people singing some praise songs. And it was the Salvation Army band singing hymns. And in that moment, God spoke to him and he said he literally just broke. His heart broke. And he realized, what am I doing? Again, is it wrong to pursue something like that? No. But for him, though, he knew what was happening in his heart. He was mixing it. And he said his heart broke. And he said, oh, my goodness. What I thought was a blessing in my life was actually a curse. It was actually keeping me from the fullness of God's blessing, the fullness of his blessing. So this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Watch out. Okay, watch out. Okay, you are lukewarm. Okay, this was, again, the worst church. In Jesus' eyes, this was worse than being dead spiritually. At least people who are dead, they kind of know it. Yeah, I'm dead, <laughs> right? Have you talked to somebody who's dead spiritually? Yeah, I don't go to church. I don't even want to hear about the gospel. They know. I'm not a Christian. Don't call me that. Those people are far easier to reach. In fact, when Jesus came here on the earth and began to do ministry, who was he reaching out to? Who was he doing ministry to? It was the church. He was reaching out to Israel. And they were wealthy. They were blessed. They had generations upon generations of accumulating the blessings of God. And who were the hardest people to reach? The Israelites. And the higher up in that organization you were, higher up in that nation you were, the harder you were to reach. So again, Jesus says, watch out. Your blessing is a curse. And so the very things you take comfort and security in has exposed you to great spiritual danger. And so, you know, I'm not here to hammer wealth. I mean, God can use incredible wealth for, for incredible things. He can. But you need to understand this. Anybody who comes to me and starts telling me that they're amassing a lot of money in their life and it's good, I say, you know what? It can be a good, but be careful. Be careful. Because unlike other people who don't have a lot, you are spiritually disadvantaged. You're extremely spiritually disadvantaged. Why? Because compared to a person who has nothing, every single day you wake up and you have a temptation to make that your security. You have a temptation that is drawing your heart away from God or at least mixing it with your worship of God. Every single day that other people, they don't have that temptation, but you do. And in fact, not only a temptation, but like I said, you are actually calibrating your life for more of that. Because the more you have, the more you want. So you are spiritually disadvantaged. It's not a blessing. It could be a curse. Jesus said it's easier to cram a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. 
Okay, we just kind of skip over it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a cool saying. No, listen. How easy is it to cram a, a camel through the eye of a needle? I mean, that's impossible. So Jesus is basically saying for a rich man to go to heaven is pretty much impossible. So all these billionaires and wealthy people in the world, I mean, they are nearly gone. I say nearly because God can do the impossible, amen? God can do anything. But they're virtually gone. They are almost completely impervious to the gospel. What? Why? What? Why, why do I need this? I have a $10 million yacht. I have five mansions. I have personal bodyguards. I mean, why? why? They're impervious. And yet that's what we're going after. There's great danger, brothers and sisters. So here's the lukewarm church's danger. And again, I don't want to make it all about money. I mean, like, like I said, Martin Lloyd-Jones, it was more about his career, his prestige and influence, but it could be anything. But there's great danger. And then Jesus said in Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So that's the danger. Jesus makes it very clear. If you continue in this way, if you continue to be mixed and lukewarm, then I am so sick, I am so nauseous by this, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And so why, right? Why is Jesus so sickened by this? Well, I believe it would have been like the same thing as this. But Jesus would have felt like a young husband who sacrificed everything, working three jobs for his beautiful wife, daily waking up, working hard all day, coming home, waking up, doing it all over again, sacrificing himself. Why? Out of a pure and unconditional love for his bride. And he's doing that day after day until one day he discovers the wife sort of loves him. She still loves him, sort of. But she's starting to get really close to this other guy at work. And now she's getting very emotionally attached to this other guy. It's the same thing. That's the lukewarm love that Jesus is talking about. And no wonder Jesus was nauseated by this. He's like, are you kidding me? This is you? I died for you. And so to him, this was worse than any other church he addressed so far. This is why Jesus said, you make me sick. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And what does that mean, actually? So this is the critical danger. Okay, well, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, I believe, and I've changed my mind on this because I thought the Laodicean church was a real church. But I believe now, after studying this passage, that Jesus was talking to an unbelieving church. This was not a safe church. This was only a church in name. This was only a church culturally. This was an unregenerate church. And the reason why I say that is because listen to how Jesus described them. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I remember one pastor preaching on this, talking to his church, saying, does that sound like a believer to you? I was blind, but now I'm blind. I mean, does that sound like a believer to you? No. Jesus would never say this about a true believer. And so this is the danger, brothers and sisters, is that if we continue on in this mixed state of loving Jesus, sort of, but also love the world and have a good thing going, but then I still want Jesus because he adds value to my life, then in the end, Jesus says, watch out, you might not be a believer. You might not belong to me. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. And right there, not only is that a graphic picture of Jesus' rejection, it's the same thing as Matthew 7. On the last day, many will say, Lord, Lord, and he says, get away from me. I don't know you. It's the same thing. But 
in that picture of being spit out of his mouth, you can also see how this church may not have been saved. And the reason why is because in other parts of the Gospels and New Testament, we know that true believers have been taken deep inside of Jesus. And we have taken Jesus deep inside of us. You know, yesterday I was talking to one of my kids because he wanted to take communion starting today. I'm not going to mention who, but he wanted to take communion. And so we talked about that. And at one point I told him communion is a way to remember what Jesus did for you. But not just remember, but it's also a way to say, I believe what you did for me. Okay, why is that a picture of belief? Because you take the bread and the juice and you take it into you, right? You chew it up, you put it in your mouth, very intimate, and then you swallow it. And what happens when you swallow it? It goes deep inside of you, so deep you don't see it anymore. And that's the true believer. You have accepted Jesus Christ and you take him deep inside of you to the point where the world can't even see it. Sometimes. <laughs> it's too deep. But he goes deep inside of you. He is a part of you, right? In the depths of your soul. In the same way, Jesus takes true believers and takes us deep inside of him. That's why he said, abide in me in the same way that I abide in you. He remain in me, deep in me, in the same way I remain deep in you. We are forever connected to Jesus in this way. So what does it mean when Jesus says, you know, I'm about to spit you out? It means you're not deep inside of me. You're just right here on my tongue. And I'm about to go, Bleh. And so this was the condition of the Laodicean church. And so does this sound like a believer to you? And if it doesn't, then again, I believe Jesus wants us to look at ourselves. Okay, the way you're living your life, the way how our hearts can be so mixed with the world. Okay, does that sound like how a believer lives to you? So these are the things that Jesus warns us about. And yet there's a cure. And ultimately, if we take the cure, then there is a great reward. And we're going to look at that next time. But let's come before the Lord right now. Okay, let's bow before him. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Simply living in this wonderful country and living in this state that offers more things than anywhere else, that alone is not sinful. In fact, money itself is not sinful. But it's our attitude towards it. And, and it's the posture of our hearts. It's the way we're calibrating our lives, what we're going after. And again, this is not only about money, but whatever else in your life, whether it's influence, security, prestige, advancement in your career. Again, all of those things can be good. But what is your heart doing with those things? And then when you come here or when you come before the Lord, on your own, what do you do with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? And so those are the issues, right? Are you mixed? Are you lukewarm? Or have you said in your heart, 
Yes, Lord, thank you for blessing me, but Lord, I want you. I surrender it all for you. In a moment's notice, if you call me to surrender, I surrender it all to you. Is that your heart? I worship you. I trust you. Even if all these things are taken away, Lord, I love you. I don't have other love and truths. I'm not going around flirting with whoever I see. Lord, I worship you. You're the only God. So let's just come before the Lord right now. Thank you, Father God. We worship you, Lord.
Lord God, we do want to remember what you did for us. Lord, as we're going to read next time, ultimately that is the only cure for this lukewarm heart. That is the only way we're going to relight a fire and a passion, a hot desire for you, is we need to go back and remember what you did for us and how utterly and truly valuable that is, not these other things. And so, Lord God, please, even today as we take communion, Lord, remind us, help us to remember, Lord. We thank you, Father God. So we're going to be uh, taking communion at this time. So we're going to just continue in a mode of prayer and worship. But let's just come before him. And the Bible says that communion is a way to remember what Jesus did. It is an act of faith. It's meant to build up faith. And so let's just come before him right now. You would never take communion and proclaim faith in Jesus. And at the same time, be in rebellion to God. Okay, that just doesn't make sense. be like saying I do on your wedding day while cheating on your spouse at the same time it just doesn't make sense or a better analogy would be celebrating your anniversary because you're remembering right celebrating your anniversary together while you're cheating this should never be and so let's just come before the Lord and repent of anything you have let your heart be drawn to and place above Christ and just say Lord forgive me not prepared to do that that's okay for now you don't need to take a minute. I encourage you wrestle it through with God and get to that place of repentance but you don't have to take a minute. no one's looking at you no one's forcing you to but this is for those who want to say yes Lord I believe I want to receive again today your sacrifice for me so let's just come before the Lord and let's spend that time let's repent Confess our sins before him. Thank you, God. God, we just come before you, Lord, and we confess our sins, Lord. We acknowledge that, Lord Jesus, you are holy.
and yet you are merciful and you invite sinners to come to you to receive forgiveness. And so, Lord God, that's what we're doing today, Lord. We're asking you to please forgive us and cleanse us. And we're asking you to build up faith in you again as we come and take communion to give us more faith, to believe. And so, Lord God, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you for your death and your resurrection. We thank you that you laid down your life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, we're going to take communion. So please take your packet if you're going to join us. And you can take the smaller tap and pull it back. And you'll see the wafer. But I read from Scripture. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. Now we're going to take the juice. So take the, the bigger tab and pull it back. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take Praise God. Let's just come before the Lord and one final time, let's give our thanks to him and then we're gonna close with a final song. Thank you, Lord. We just worship you, Father. We thank you so much, Lord, for loving us and being with us leading us, Father, step by step. Lord Jesus, Father, you are always so gracious, and you have poured your grace out upon us. And Lord God, we are utterly dependent upon you. And Father God, we cannot walk this path. We cannot live this life without you, Father. So Lord God, we humble ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your sacrifice for us. You made it clear without a shadow of a doubt that you love us and you gave your life for us. And so now, Lord Jesus, as you offer yourself to us as a free gift, all you ask in return is our entire hearts. And so, Lord God, if we have not been giving our entire hearts to you, forgive us. Lord, I confess that in my own life. Please forgive me, Lord. But if we have not yielded ourselves fully to you, forgive us. If we have been distracted by things in the world, whether it may be financial security, whether it may be advancing in my career, whether it may be uh, just getting more possessions, whether it may be, I don't know, you fill in the blank. Please forgive us. But I pray and ask, oh Lord Jesus, that you would please bring us to that place of just total surrender to you. Lord, we want you, Jesus. We want you. And Lord God, we confess that we are probably living in the most difficult spot on this earth to keep our hearts pure for you. It is incredibly hard here because we're so blessed. We have so much. So Lord God, I pray a special prayer 
for all of us here and everyone listening, Lord, please have mercy upon us Christians in America, please. Please, Lord God, we are seriously disadvantaged compared to our other brothers and sisters around the world who don't have nearly the worldly blessings. And yet they are rich in the spirit. They are rich in eternal things and we aspire to be like them. And Lord, you know that as some of us went to Malawi, Lord, many of us, we even shared how we can learn from them, how we are encouraged by them. We are blessed by them. In some ways, they are ahead of us. And so, Lord God, yes, that's true. They are ahead because we're disadvantaged. But please have mercy on us too, God, because we're also your people. So please help us and help us to see with your perspective. More and more, Lord God. And it's going to be hard because tomorrow morning we're going to wake up, God, and we're going to look at our lives and we're going to say, wow, how amazing and how blessed we are. And we're going to go after them. But Lord God, remind us again, no, these blessings could become your curse. These things that you believe are building up your life can destroy your life. So please, Lord God, help us to have the right perspective. Lord, have mercy on us, God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's rise for final worship.